We are going to get started. Um, this is my third week, so if you haven't heard the other messages, um, this is kind of a culmination of those, so you probably might want to go back and take a chance to listen. But I do want to reiterate, because um, today I'm talking about, we've been talking about the mission, the mission of the church, the mission of our church family. Um, and we've laid the foundation that it's not about just doing the mission, just checking the boxes. It's about, it's an, an outworking of our salvation. And so, and I believe, I, today I'm going to go into a little more specific clarity of that, but the Lord's not finished with us in us grabbing a hold of the greatness of our salvation. And that's what the last two weeks have been about because that is the foundation. You know, in Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell, that was, that was post-resurrection Christianity. That was the spirit of the living God entering all of humanity at that time. And when you got saved, you literally were pulled out of darkness into his, his light. Jesus paid the price for your sin and you came into a relationship with Jesus, one that sets the captives free. If you were oppressed, you came into freedom. It was a powerful work in the spirit. And it's from that foundation that we step into a place of missions. And we, so we've got to keep going back to that until we are restored to the joy of our salvation, until we come into that place that we taste him, we know him, we experience him, that we can say, I was oppressed, but now I'm free. I was bound, but now I'm free. And, you know, the, the um, word, the Psalm 103 that, that Wesley was sharing, it's, it's sharing about the freedom in Christ and that his hand is not short and somehow we've come into a place of a form of godliness and we've, be, we've begun to deny the power and we pray and pray for people when if, if you want to be set free, God's hand is not short, his power is not limited. It's only limited by your desire to not let go of your sin. Your desire to still maintain control, that will keep you from getting saved. That will keep you from experiencing the freedom of Christ and pretending that you're saved. Because salvation isn't about just accepting Jesus with your mouth. It's about laying down your life and receiving a new life from Christ. It's about coming and dying and, and receiving the resurrected life of Christ that lives in you. Like Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. And so you're stepping out of your old self and you're stepping into a new way of salvation that is filled with the power of God, the grace of God. It's filled with an abundance of love and satisfaction. Those places where you feel lonely, you feel distant, I don't have family. God places you into this place of abundance abundant joy, abundant satisfaction, where now, where you were distant from God, now you're close to him because you've been clothed in his righteousness and his holiness. There's no longer a barrier between you and God himself. This is an amazing place. This is powerful. And it's out of that. And we can't truly move on to any other place if you have not received the fullness of that. Because everything flows out of that place. 
Salvation is what brings us into mission. It doesn't bring us into this laborsome work. It brings us into the excitement of the mission of the kingdom, of establishing the kingdom on earth, of sharing the abundance of what we've been given. And we're so overwhelmed with it. You're like, I have to share. I have to talk to people. I have to love people. I have to become like Christ because it's so in me and it all of a sudden manifests. And then you, you get convicted of your sin. It was beautiful today with Ashlyn, right? That's conviction of the spirit. And he's saying now, go sin no more. And then we can come into that place. But from that place, we begin to lay our lives down daily. And it's in the minutia of that that we find the beauty of our salvation. It's in the daily attitudes. It's when we come in, so from that place of salvation, we're brought into mission with family, and your salvation begins to be proven through your relationships with your household. How are you treating your wife? How are you treating your husband? Are you obeying your parents? It's the minutia of those places that give us a place to actually demonstrate the work of Christ in us. It's very easy to say scripture, and you know, we, we're... we're Almost in, in our, the church today, we're almost Gnostic in the sense that we love spiritual experience, but we, we've, we have this almost tainted view of the natural, of the labor, of the work that is attached to that, that becomes evil. <laughs> Anything that has the, the label work on it is evil, and that's very Gnostic, where Jesus came and he redeemed us and he brought us into this place where his salvation moves into the earth. It redeems the earth. It redeems our families and the work around all of that. And so it's proven in our households, that's where they know you best, right? If your kids hate you, there's a problem, right? And I know teenagers go through places of pushing, but I'm saying even in that, God is saying, how are you responding to them? How are you, are you being changed and, and I'll tell you, teenagers will change you into the image of Jesus real fast. <laughs> um, but in those moments, though, that you have the opportunity to, like, flip out, are you, is that when you're pulling on heaven and you're saying, God, there is a salvation that's greater, that I can become something that I don't feel like right now. It's in those places that all of a sudden, your flesh dies more and more, and you come into the greater image of Christ. But there has to be a moment that, that there has to be something that proves that in your life. We don't get to make the claim of being set free from being oppressed, and yet we can't control our emotions. We can't manage our households well. We can't love people well. That, that's not, that's disjointed. There's, there is a, a, a reality that comes with salvation. There is a demonstration that when Jesus lives in us, we all of a sudden become like him. And we're able to have control over those emotions. Those places, the triggers, right? We have all these fun names that we've come up with in, in our new thing, triggers, trauma, all these things. Um, God's hand's not short to touch triggers, right? Like when, when that emotion comes up and, and you're like, whoa, this is a pretty intense emotion and it's not really matching the situation here. That's usually when you know that something's going on is when you all of a sudden react in a way and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, something got touched and that's when you run to the cross. 
that's when you take it and you go and you say, God, what is this? Where am I not trusting you? And then you know what happens? There's a divine exchange at the cross and you get to re-enter into the joy of your salvation all over again. I mean, score, right? I mean, come on, I'm saying this is an awesome thing because it's never ending. It's never ending. And every time you, you, you fall down and you, you, you fail, you're like, God, where was, what was that? And he says, I'm available. My grace is available. Come here. Come here. Let's get this straight. And then we go and we repent. We confess our sins. And then he's, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us right? And then we get to literally taste the joy of our salvation again. And we get to taste the beauty of the cross and say, thank you, Jesus. And that's where our grateful hearts come because it's an unending, it's endless loving kindness that is is afforded to us. But it's afforded to us who have a heart that's humble, that confesses our sin, that doesn't try to put on a form of godliness, but humbles ourselves and comes to the cross and makes it makes a divine exchange because there's nothing in us that can do that. We need a savior. We need a God to save us. We need him to come in and touch those places. And the only way to get there is through that place of humility and divine exchange. You don't get to come arrogantly to the cross and say, oh, Jesus loves me. I know he loves me so much. It's not about that. His love for you is about cleansing you and giving you access to the Father. That's what the love is. And so he doesn't give out cheap love. And so when you're just thinking that he loves you so much and you're so awesome, all of a sudden you're like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this Christianity thing working in my life? Because it wasn't, you were told a lie. The truth is, is that you are desperate for a savior. All of us. All of us. And God has so graciously provided that. And when we can grab a hold of that and see, and that's what I, that is the, the caution, and that's what we've been feeling and hearing for, for years, three or four years now. We, we keep talking about this thing over and over because the Western church has entered into this form of godliness, this place of arrogance where we, oh, we're saved, we're Christians, and we say all these things, but we live just like the rest of the world. We live like moral people in a world without power. And we see this lack of power in our lives. We see this lack of power and demonstration in the world around us. We always are running in to this brick wall and wondering why, why, why. And it's because we've left the truth. We've left the joy. of. We've limited the power of God. Somehow we've gotten to a place where we need 20 years of counseling to be um, whole. Like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? That is a lie Because the Bible says, my Bible says that Jesus has victory over it all. That he was given dominion and and authority over our life. But I'll tell you what, it cost us our flesh. It cost us coming before a holy God and saying, I'm a wreck. I'm holding on to bitterness. I'm holding on to unforgiveness. Somebody violated me severely and I can't forgive them and I can't let it go. And then we come and we say, God, out of this pain, I'm choosing, I'm choosing to release this to you. 
I'm choosing to offer forgiveness. I don't care what my emotions say. I don't care how I feel. I am choosing to do what's right. I am choosing to forgive. I forgive so-and-so. I repent for doing this. I repent for my response to this pain. I repent for the sin that I've engaged in because of this pain. That brings us into a place that all of a sudden the power and glory of God comes down. We see this in encounters all the time and the struggle and we sit with people and wrestle with them to forgive. And then they come into the place of alignment with the cross and the next thing you know, the power of God just falls and it was like a weight of the ages comes off and you're like, what is this? It's the joy of your salvation. It's the beauty of the cross that sets free. And then we, we see it on their face and, and they talk like that. And then we go back to church and a year later, oftentimes, because the church has told us that there's no power, we think that we have to re-enter into that place of struggle again. When God has said, no, I've set you free indeed. Free indeed. No more, no more pain, no more sorrow. He becomes your all in all, even unto death. That's what the the whole thing is, is Jesus saves us. Even unto death, we're not even afraid to die anymore because we've come into such a place of life. Paul says in in Philippians, he's like, should I go? Should I stay? You know, if if I stay, it's going to be for fruitful labor, but you know, I'm not sure because he's excited to go and meet his savior. There's no fear left in his life because he has intimacy with the father. Wow. What a place, right? To come into this place of intimacy that even death or trial, it's as many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of all of them. All of them. He's faithful. And he's going to continue to be faithful. And it's out of this foundation that we begin to give our lives away. That we can, we can come in and we become servants. And that's why Paul begins all of his letters. Paul, the servant of God. Bond slave, bond servant, right? This is his title. Timothy does the same thing. That you become a servant. You're, you come into this place willing to give your life away. So I wanted to lay that foundation again because we cannot go back to that enough. And it's from that place that we're going to begin to see dif- a difference. And that was the, one of the questions that was asked of me was, well, what are you looking for? Because we've been preaching and everybody's like, well, we feel like we've done everything. What are you looking for? We're looking for the, the return of the joy of the salvation. And when, when you see it on people, you know it. Somebody doesn't, you don't have to do, it's, it's there. It's like, you know, if you know, you know, right? If you know, you know, the grace of God is in you. It's spilling out. You get around somebody and you're like, what is with that person? It's like life. All of a sudden there's this energy. Resurrection life is reverberating out of every fiber of your being. And you're excited to live life every day. You're excited to run back to the cross to get saved all over again, right? So it's like that, that is the essence that drives everything in mission. It's from that place. When we get to that place, everything else is easy. Nobody's saying, oh, you're asking us to do something else. Nobody's saying that because you're just like, ah, I'm in love. 
I'm in love with a savior. Right? And that love drives everything. Nothing else makes sense anymore because you're just willing to give your life away from that place. But now when I say that, I'm saying that too because I'm getting ready to go into the hard stuff because we love to hear that message and we can be like, yes, hurrah, I identify with it. But that message is going to be proven by our attachment to our fa- how we're acting in our local families and in our family of families. And so God has brought us out of that place of salvation into demonstrating it in our household, and then our household comes into the family of families and begins to demonstrate it. And so this is our mission field right here, this service, and all the things that we do as the Crossing Life Church outside of... Um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so let's talk, let me, let me start with this, is the church, okay, the church itself is represented by small groups, like your individual family, your life groups, your smaller groups, larger group gatherings, and leadership through the spirit and the gifts, right? God's given us leaders. That's the church of the living God. It's represented all over the world. It's represented of a gathering of people, small groups, large groups, and leaders that are led by the Spirit, okay? That is the church of the living God that is a sacred place of power. When we get saved, we enter into that gathering of life and family. We enter into that place of groups that come together and begin to worship him and have that divine exchange. And we, like iron sharpening iron, we begin to live with one another in love and they'll know that we're Christians by our love for one another. That is the place, that is the church of the living God. It's what it is here in Haiti, in Africa, everywhere around the world, that is the representation of the church. When you accept Christ, you enter into that place of of a cluster of believers, a family of families, okay? Everything outside of that serves that one purpose. Everything outside of that is the mission of the church that serves that purpose. So this service is one of the larger groups, right? Right? But everything that we do, the children's church, the children's ministry, that's all serving the greater vision and mission of the church. Um, Look at my board. Did you see my board over here? I don't know if everybody can see it. Um, That starts with, that's Acts 2.42, okay, that you're seeing. And it starts with when you enter in, they, they, what did they do? They, it was the apostles' teaching that they began to, what, are they, what the apostles' teaching is just the first principles of the faith. It's how to live as a Christian, right? And they entered into that fellowship with one another, breaking of bread. And they did that as an individual household, and they did that in their groups, their small groups and their larger groups. Oh, okay. Um, so, Everything, though, outside of the church is mission. When we even, on this Sunday expression here, it's a larger group, but what we're doing is this is pastoral care and evangelism, right? We are an expression for the lost. This service, the lost come in. This is just like synagogue, right? Where half our world or more than half of our world in this region is Catholic, and this provides a contextual place for them to come into. This is form. The function of the church is that gathering, but the forms that those churches take all over the world are based on the context that they live in. 
And so this is contextualized to our context. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, um, I love this line in um, the movie El Cid. It's a really old movie, but there's this line in it that um, Sophia Loren, she says, um, she's, she's the wife of the, the Cid, and they're exiled at the time, and somebody says something to her about her life or, you know, what are you going to do now or whatever, and she says, um, my man is not like any other man, so my life will not be like any other life. And I was like, wow, what a powerful statement, right? Sometimes I think that about Sean. My man's not like any other man. So my life will not like... But when I was thinking about this, I'm saying our church is not like any other church, so your life will not be like any other life. It, it's like... There's a context of what we live in. This is the family that God's called us to, and there is a mission that we are on together. And it's driven out of that love for Jesus, that coming together that brings us into that body. But out of that body, we begin to serve and apply scripture. And it's that application that, that you find in our culture becomes very troublesome. It becomes troublesome when we're studying the first principles, right? Getting people to actually study and do the work. That's a really hard thing, to come each week and say, well, how, are we, how is your life different after reading this? Are you applying it to your life? What's different this week from last week? That's a really hard place. Everybody gets a little uncomfortable with that. You know, I don't want to read my answers. I don't know. I, you know, Jesus just loves me. <laughs> Which is true. But out of that love, there is, there is a lifestyle. There's a proving of it. That's, that's what I want us to make the, the, the switch in our mind because we are so tainted by paradigm of culture that we like to hear cool stuff, but doing it doesn't, it's the hard part. We don't, we push against it. Well, what are you asking me to do something? Are you demanding it? Like, it's like, no, it, there's a place of salvation that brings you into mission and servitude, and these are the opportunities in our context that God is providing for you. And this place is the place that we can come into oneness. And that's why up there when it says on the, the board that um, the church, Acts 2.42, it talks about fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And I feel like, I'll tell you out of a year of it, because when... Um, Last year, a year ago, when the Spirit broke out, it's revival, right? You're, you're like, it, it's in the room. The essence of God is in the room. You're excited. Two weeks of that go by, and then all of a sudden, it starts dissipating, and people are like, what are we going to do? Well, we said, you know, we told everybody. We told God that we, he asked us, will you accommodate me? And we said, yes. So we're going to do the, we're going to accommodate him. We're going to stay true to our word, and it became stewardship. And as we're all working through it together, ourselves as a body, as leaders, the, the wrestling with what that looks like, what, what is, what's it for, like, you know, other than saying yes to God, like, you know, people are like wanting to know the deeper thing. But after a year, I feel like it's been a gift of God to bring us into one mind and one heart. And, and I'm saying that because... The whole premise that I'm saying is there has to be a tangible thing that proves your claim. You know, when you say, oh, I submit to my husband. Okay, well, when he does something and doesn't ask you, like he takes a job or something and he forgets to ask you about it, are you okay with that? 
Or do you, do you have a fit? Like, are you really, do you, you know what I'm saying? It's like you can claim whatever you want, but when the actual moment comes that that has to, to actually prove itself, the, the behavior has to be there, right? You need to joyfully respect him in that moment. Like, even though it might, you know, because he asks you, but I'm saying, does he need to ask your permission? Well, biblically, no, he shouldn't have to ask your permission. He, you share life together, and most, most marriages are like that, where there, there's this kind of exchange. But I'm saying, as the, as the leader of the house, if he makes a choice, he does get to do that biblically. And if we don't, you know, if we have a problem with that, well, then your claim of submission is not really true. Um, I'm using that one just because it's kind of a clear, you know, way of saying it, but it's like that in everything. I'm saying in the church, like when we're doing stuff, like we, we make these claims of walking in unity, but what's, wh- where's the place of proving that, you know? When we walk with leaders, are we respectful or, or, or do we gossip or do you know, like in each one of your little areas of, of service, what is your attitude? What is, what, what is the essence that's coming out of that? Because if, it's, if, it is, if it's not the life of Christ, if it doesn't have that essence on it, then your claims are starting to fall apart a little bit, okay? And so I really believe, I was like, I've, as I've been seeing it, because those of us that have participated in it, we're being changed, like, we're being changed. Like, I talk to people, and it's like, there's something happening in our hearts and lives. And I thought, God, this is something that you've given to us, because it's one area. Like, on Sundays, there's many areas of service that people can participate in, but prayer, we all can. There's, like, no limitations. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can pick any time of day or night. Like, it fits in anybody's schedule because there's not, like, a certain time. Like, it's all the time, right? Um, but in that, there's this place of one mind. We see that and read that in Scripture. What does that mean? What does that look like? Where is it proven in our church family together that we're in one mind together? that we've got a vision together. And as we've been in prayer, you know, we start finding, we start praying the same things. None of us are talking to each other about it. And we've got the same scriptures going. We've got the same thought. I mean, right? You're like, what? I just prayed that. I, was, I just prayed that for two hours in my blog. It, it's happening all the time, right? The Spirit is bringing us into this place of unity, of one mind and heart. And and it's a gift. I was like, wow, God, that is a gift that you gave us. Because I think that is a very hard place in our culture. That is probably one of the biggest things in the churches that we miss is that one mind and one heart. And boy, could God use a church with one mind and one heart. Right? I mean, the demonstration that we can be to the world if we come into the unity of the faith in him. That is a powerful place. But that place is proven and demonstrated by our willingness to participate in the mission. And again, our mission is contextual to the form of our work, okay? Function of the church doesn't change. Like I said, that is the church. When you step in, you step into that place of gathering together, right? But outside of that, everything else that we're seeing, which you'll see, we have listed down at the bottom. I have Dreamers Ranch, Austin, Bingo, all these places, all the Sunday different things, the 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 greeters and ushers, all of that is a place of mission where we're coming to look and show people with, with our hearts filled with Jesus, 
right? Making a demonstration of who he is so that this experience on a Sunday shouts the love of God to people, shouts the value that God has for people. I see you. You're worthy of me serving you. I love you. And it's just through demonstrating service that you come into that place, which is really cool because I do think people have a hard time. Like, we always felt guilty when the evangelist comes into town and says, you should be sharing Jesus everywhere. When you're at the grocery store, you should be asking people if they know the Lord, right? And you feel really guilty because then you walk through life and you're like, I should be saying something right here. Um, and if you're that type of person, you know what I'm saying? There is a personality with that that's just like blowing through, and there is an evangelist call that people have. But the rest of us should be, we should have a voice to, to defend our faith at any moment. And there are times that we should be listening to the Spirit that we will do those things. But I'm saying, wow, to have evangelism every week on our mission of our ministries together that are serving our church. That is powerful. And, and when we can come into a one heart and one mind of that, and, and in the minutia of it, right, in the granular parts of our attitude and our heart, because that's the place that all of a sudden our flesh starts dying. Like the internship for the young adults is a place that they get to come to and die. Woo! Right? It's where you come to die. Your flesh dies right? You have this schedule, and all of a sudden, you learn the life of Jesus that's in that. And even now, this year, we start, this was a hard start on this year, and <laughs> I think everybody's kicking, I don't want to die, like, I'm just doing the motions here, and we're like, that's the problem, you know? Like, this isn't about the motions. This is about freely coming to die. Um, but I'm saying all of a sudden, you're starting to see a shift and transition, right? The life of Jesus starts living in people big. And their hearts, all of a sudden, their attitudes are changing. They're walking into a place of service, and they're like, what do I do today? And you're seeing it on them, and you're like, whoa, that's different. That's a different person right there. That is the essence of salvation, though, right? When we're, our flesh dies, when we willingly lay on the cross and say, God, I'm giving my life away to receive yours. Because in that place, that looks real when our attitude lines up with it. That looks real when, when, in that, when we're pressed into that hard place, all of a sudden the oil of heaven comes out instead of our flesh. That's the reality of the gospel. It's not, it's not in a claim that you're making. It's in a life that is demonstrating it. And in the same way, the greater churches, we come in together and we come into this place of service, right? It's that kind of internship place where we go on mission together. And there's times that it is joyous and so fun and so easy. And then there's times that it's not so easy, right? But what happens in those times? Faithfulness, commitment, responsibility, a sacrifice, right? To the Lord, God, I don't feel like this, but today I'm going to do this. I'm going to partner in your mission today. You're worthy. You're worthy, and I'm going to demonstrate my love for you, my unity in the body. I'm going to demonstrate it with this act. I'm going to put, put something behind my claim that's more than just mouth service, but my life is going to be given away for your kingdom. 
And that is the hard place, but that is the place of mission. That is the place that we're called to. Our salvation fuels that place where we become a demonstration in our context with other believers. And so salvation brings you into a context of a family. It brings you into the body of Christ, into the sacredness, the sacred space of relationship that we are continually changed by because it's in family that the, your family knows you best, right? When you're at home, like that's what I'm saying. How are you at home? Are you the same way that you're here? Because you should be. That's salvation, right? Salvation doesn't get put on when you're here on Sunday service. It's in everyday life. It's in the really super intimate relationships where everybody knows your name. And it's out there. But I'll tell you what, if we can get this right in here with unity in our, in our marriages, unity with the church, unity with leadership, unity with our kids, if we can get this straight, you guys... We are ready for the glory of God to be spilled out. I am telling you, when God smells the smell of sacrifice and death on a people, he's drawn to that as we give our lives away and we die and let him live in us. He is drawn to living in us. He came and gave his life so that we could do that. And there is beauty, and that was like what Will was saying, that it's not only this place of death. In that death, we find a resurrection life, and all of those places in us are satisfied. You guys, it's the best. I'm telling you, this is the coolest death you can have, right? You die to your flesh, and you enter into this place of beauty and power and strength and satisfaction of your soul. My soul satisfied. I used to love some of those old spirituals that are like, my soul satisfied. My soul satisfied. <laughs> Ever since that wonderful day, my soul been satisfied. <laughs> um, but I'm saying it makes you sing, right? I was laughing. We did a prayer block together, and I was on the mic, and he was playing, and he sings in key, and I don't. I was dying laughing as I rewatched it last night. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, and he's like, I told you, it's bad, right? <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I don't care. He's worthy. I'm going to sing because he's worthy. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free, right? And so I'm going to sing regardless, but yeah, some of you might, <laughs> those of you that are musicians, it might bother you, so you're going to have to go in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the place I want to read um, at his Philippians here. It says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And that is the intention of all that we're doing is souls. It's to bring about a mission field that we can demonstrate the glory of God in our region. And so we do it on local levels, and then we do it on regional and global levels. 
but it's all missions that you've been invited into as part of this family. This is the mission field that you're coming into, and it's a place of service, and God is wanting to bring us into this place of fullness that our lives are less about us every day and less about us trying to get healed, and that we become so full of him that our lives become about sharing him with the world. We all of a sudden shift from capacity for just ourselves as victims to a place of victory and power where we begin to share with the world the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the beauty of our Savior, and we're creating places of hospitality. Hospitality is not for the church. It's for strangers. If you look up the definition of hospitality, it's offering service to strangers. And so we create this place of beauty and that's what I'm saying. It's natural beauty. It's not, it's, God loves that. I love the chariots of fire when the, the guy, he has that talent to run really fast. And in it, he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure, right? And that's what we should be feeling as we're on mission with him, right? When I usher, I feel God's pleasure. When I serve, I feel God's pleasure. When I use my talents, if I have other talents, I'm an entrepreneur, whatever. When I do that, I feel God's pleasure. Sean would say that about development, you know, when he develops, he's like, I feel the pleasure of God in that, the glory of God in that, to build things for the kingdom, to establish works. It's, it's the natural world coming in and proving all of the claims of the Spirit, and all of a sudden, the more united we become, we become this force of power and glory and light in the region where they're seeing stuff from our natural things that we're doing, the farm and everything, right? The powerful demonstration of the creation mandate and, and what God's created in the earth, how we're serving him in, in the prison ministry, all the different things that we're doing. All of a sudden, that becomes filled with the essence of heaven. And that is when we see things happen. And that is where we're going. And so all the messages that I've had are coming to this place of, yes, there is service in the kingdom. Yes, you should be doing that. But is there this demand and this harsh, like, you know, rule set? No. There is a grace from heaven. We are calling you into this place of the joy of your salvation because the Bible says that in his day of power, and that scripture, that's um, Psalms 110, it's talking about Jesus. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he has dominion and power and authority. And it says, in that day, my people will volunteer freely. Why? Because we have the essence of heaven that's turned us into servants, right? We're servants. We become like our Savior who laid down his life. I want to read. Oh, what did I do? I flipped my, sorry. I, I got excited and flipped my pages. Um, okay. Intent on one person. Doing nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant 
and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so this is the place that we're being called to, to work out our salvation, to humble ourselves. Jesus set the standard for us to be like him. And so that's when I'm saying we're saved into servanthood. It's because that's what Jesus demonstrated to us. And so there is this demand from a biblical perspective to give our lives away. And so it's not Sean and Stephanie asking more and all they want to do is more and we just want to be busy all the time. No, we're about the kingdom's business. There's vision in the house to serve this region. And it's our job to be so full with God that we can take our place on the wall of prayer. We can take our place in servant in some of the, any one of the ministries that God puts on your heart. Some ministries will do just because we want to help, right? It might not be even our thing. Like, you know, I like how I'm not led to do that. Well, we're in the household. You know, I'm not led to take my trash out either. But... But I do it. Um, So that's a part of it. That is a part of it. But it's not a weighted demand. It's the glory of God. It's the beauty of this essence of Jesus that's in us that causes us to be willing to give our lives away, to step in together in that place of community. Paul, when he would go out, there's a pattern that we see as he went from place to place. He would gather people. He would preach the gospel. He would form a cluster of believers, right? He would begin to instruct them and then appoint leaders in that. And we see that over and over again. And that is the the pattern that all of these places of mission are culminating in, is that we're creating a space to gather people, an audience, to gain an audience, to begin to preach the gospel to, through either our lives or even our words. And then from that place, once they come to know this, this wonderful Savior, that his essence is all over us. Then they come into the house of the God and they become part of the family, right? They become instructed in the ways of the Lord. They they begin to learn the apostles' teaching. They begin to learn how to live, how to order their households. They learn how to come into this place of community and the household of households, right? And then they begin to give their lives away together as a community. We make a demonstration to the world. So this is the place of mission that we're talking about. There was a lot of questions over that last week, and so I just wanted this was my week to make it clear. And I do think this was the harder week because I'm saying that is not the fun part, right? Everybody is like, don't tell me how to serve. Don't ask me to serve. Like, um, but, but that is a part of salvation, And we need to understand that scripturally, that that is where we're coming. But our our greatest desire for you is that you'll taste the joy of your salvation. 
And this has been our heart's cry before the Lord. This has been our plea before the congregation, Sunday after Sunday, calling us into this deep place in him and saying, come and, and restore the joy of your salvation. Come to him. Lay down your life again. Come and be honest before the cross and say, God, where, has, where have I allowed my flesh to become greater and bigger in my life? Because I'll tell you, when we get rid of that, a lot of our depression will leave. Sickness sometimes leaves from it. There's a lot of things that we invite into our lives because we're holding on to control. We're holding on to our own rights. When the Bible says your life is not your own, you've been bought with a price when you enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's not about your own preferences. And so that is the invitation. That is our heart's cry to you, is to come and taste your salvation again. To know this Savior. And when you, when you taste and we come into that place, we'll all know. We'll all know because we'll start to see it, just like we're starting to see it on some of the interns. You're seeing the spark of the kingdom all of a sudden light up in their eyes and in their hearts as you have conversations with them. They're learning to die and let Jesus live. And in the same way, we're calling out to you guys and saying, come, come and die so that you can live. And as we all come and we start dying well, we're going to start seeing the sparks of life between one another, right? Our language with one another is going to change. Our attitudes, how we respond to leadership, how we respond to one another, all of that starts changing and the essence of heaven starts washing over it. So again, we just want to open the altar. We're going to worship. And again, today we say, come. Come and receive from the Lord again. Come with anything. Check your hearts and say, God, where is the joy of my salvation? Where is that essence of heaven? I want to taste you. I want to know you. And bring those areas, anything that he shows you, you bring it to the cross. Because there is a divine exchange waiting for you. If you will humble yourselves, there is a divine exchange waiting to fill you with the resurrection power of the King that's going to give you power and authority over sin, that's going to give you power and authority over your tongue, It's going to cause you to live like Jesus, not saying ugly things to people when you're mad but beginning to operate out of an opposite spirit. Come on, guys. God's wanting to bring us into this deep place. He wants us to taste of the beauty of heaven. We can never, you know, it says with fear and trembling, we work out our salvation because it's not just a prayer. It's a continued lifestyle of coming to him daily bringing our old dragon, our old flesh up and laying it back down and saying, God, I'm not, I'm choosing to walk in your ways today. I'm not listening to this old haggard thing. I'm going to walk in the power of Jesus. Change us, oh God. Father, we just come. I just invite you guys to come. Come to the cross again. Come and receive from the Savior who's so ready and willing to pour out his loving kindness on us. We can taste the greatness and the fullness of our salvation and be full to overflowing 